0: Uh, okay, we're rolling. Take one. Brian and Greg duet of Brian, it's cold outside. (laughs) And the one.
1: (laughs) Well, you know, it must have finally gotten cold, Greg, because not only am I not wearing a short sleeve shirt here in the house, I actually have long sleeves on. I regret okay, to form. What, what, what
0: about the pants? What about the pants? Say, I
1: regret to form you and the audience. I'm wearing actual pants in my house. I'm not walking around in shorts, uh, and I even have slippers on my feet right now to keep them warm. So wow. it is officially cold in the city of Seattle.
0: That's got to be like a. I mean, you're not. Keep, are you keeping the house colder than you would in in other days? Is it? it it's got to be just like mental, right? Or you're like trying to like. Okay. Uh, is it? Are you trying to save some money by, like, not keeping it at a roasty 58 where you like it and letting it (laughs) get down to, like, 55, right? Because, like, that three degrees is saving you, like, $100. Well,
1: Greg, it'll also be shocking for you to hear this. Uh, Right now, the little thermostat dial is at 70, which I don't think it's ever seen before, just to keep it at, like, 50 degrees in the house. So it's actually Mm. colder than even normal right now, Mm. which is, uh, you know, surprising. Surprising. Wow.
0: People are always asking me, like, oh, my gosh, isn't winter so terrible on the boat? I, it's 65 degrees in my place. I'm doing fine. I got the diesel heater on. On the other hand, my I caught my bilge pump going off this morning. Is that bad? <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's unrelated just a small problems.
0: I'm sure it's not a problem um, because, you know, whatever Seacock is cracked or whatever... The water is
1: being held at bay by the ice. So uh, (laughs) no problems. See, I would have been a great sea captain like in the, you know, 16th, 17th century, because my philosophy for everything is, yeah, don't worry about it. (laughs) <laughs> like don't don't worry about it <laughs> until the problem becomes catastrophic. Just don't worry about it. And I feel like on a boat, that's always the strategy you want to take. Something I mean, goes wrong. Just, yeah,
0: maintenance of anything. Like when it, yeah. it's a problem when it's a problem. Tell, yeah. like yeah. call me when we're sinking. <laughs>
1: Welcome back to the Mechanical Freak Podcast. It's a Greg and Brian day here in this very cold Seattle morning. I think it's 10 degrees outside right now last time I checked. Uh, awful. <laughs> yeah, it's uh just cold as it gets, man. Uh, 10 degrees with no snow, which I feel like is a real it's a real letdown. The kids, this week we had that little bit of snow on Thursday, and I saw because we have two school, like schools like literally right next to us, so we have to kind of like pay attention to these things to plan when we leave for work in the morning. Uh, All they got was a slight delay on Friday. They didn't even get out of school. Like Mm -hmm. robbed, robbed. That's all I can say.
0: Yeah. Didn't get out of school. We'll never see snow in their lifetime. Never know what it was like. (laughs) That that was their one
1: chance. That little flurry we had on Thursday. That was their one chance to see. They'll be telling. Well,
0: I was going to say their grandkids, but. mm.
1: (laughs) That wants to be serious. (laughs) (laughs) The 10% of them that go on to have kids uh, who then their kids have kids uh, can tell their grandkids about it. So, yeah, the other other 90% enjoy obscurity fading into history. Um, Yeah,
0: for like flaming into history when 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 they drop the bombs on us.
1: Yeah. uh, Couldn't happen soon enough. But a bomb did get dropped uh, this last week on us, Greg. And of course, I mean, in the college football championship, which I know that you are watching uh, breathlessly as your University of Washington Huskies got utterly annihilated uh, by, who was it, Michigan, the University of Michigan. You can tell we're both very invested in this game. Um, I did uh, watch it out of some solidarity with some of my UW friends. And I got to tell you, if this is what college football is, uh no thank you. Pretty boring shit. <laughs> uh
0: I mean my entire experience of this, whatever you're talking about, is just being like uh chatted up by like old lady grocery store workers about like, are you watching are you going to watch the game? <laughs> uh yes, the
1: game, yeah. <laughs> I, you're I, like, I, you're like, yes, I am going to watch the 1992 Ice tea movie, The Game, later. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Hi, I'm I'm buying food in the hour before uh, a local like important football game. It must be for my watch party. You know, well, the, why else would Universi- I be at the grocery store?
1: The University of Washington is such a place that you could be at PCC. Buying little fancy lad cheeses and your little lacolas and whatnot, and that would be for a University of Washington watch party. <laughs> like anywhere else, they would look at what you're purchasing and be like, "Never mind, and just check you out." But but here, they're like, "Wait, are you watching the game?"
0: <laughs> <laughs> I was I was probably like getting like roasted Brussels sprouts by the pound. Um, Dude. when I was asked that, so.
1: Okay, so you know, I am, of course, an enormous Brussels sprouts fan. I had a fucking checker at Safeway give me shit for buying Brussels sprouts. I was like buying them, like, ooh, like I hate Brussels sprouts. And it took every ounce of my being because I wasn't fully checked out yet to be like, you're a child. (laughs) You're a dumb baby. It's like, sounds like a personal problem. I don't know what to tell you.
0: Uh, Uh, Well, anyways. I think think that person was trying to connect with you on a human
1: level. And all you can do is judge, Brian. (laughs) Well, uh, in true podcaster fashion, I then talk their ear off about how to cook them properly. Uh, which I'm sure they did not okay. want to hear or care about. Yeah. And I, uh,
0: <laughs> the first pass at the story, what we heard about was Brian's restraint in the in the face <laughs> of this oppression. Like,
1: I'm I'm glad we teased the reality out a little more. Well, I'm just like one of those uh, former heroin addicts that gets really into smoking. You know, like if you're going to deny one indulgence, you have to overindulge in another, you know, that's, that's, that's how it works, you know? So if I'm not going to call them a baby, I have to then lecture them about cooking for 10 minutes. Um, well, that's Beautiful. our analysis of the game and, there and roast them
0: for an audience <laughs> on the internet. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, uh, One thing I will say, uh, the hilariously named Michael Penix Jr., the quarterback for uh, University of Washington, was riding high. Uh, People were talking potential late-round first-round pick uh, in the draft coming out. And this game was about as disastrous for him as it could be and probably cost him a round in the draft, which is literally millions of dollars. (laughs) Um, So... Uh, RIP to Michael Penix Jr. And I was really looking forward to seeing that name on an NFL jersey in the future. Uh, Too bad. Uh, Legitimately feel bad for him. That does bring us to John Harbaugh, coach of the Michigan Wolverines, former coach of my San Francisco 49ers, uh, who in the press conference afterwards, I think just kind of apropos of nothing, just started telling the press about how um, it's kind of bullshit that college football makes all like all these millions of dollars off these games and the players aren't paid. And um, I got to say, I think this is probably because John's leaving college football for the NFL uh, for next year. But good for you, John. <laughs> good for you. Let it get out there. And Harbaugh's always been a get paid guy. Uh, part yeah. of the reason why they ran him out of San Francisco was after he took the 49ers to the Super Bowl, and I think it was 2012, 2011, something like that. It was uh, Colin Kaepernick's second season, so you're still in his four-year rookie deal. And rookie deals in the NFL are garbage. You essentially pay nothing, right? So it's like free money for the team, and they abuse them as much as you could imagine. And it is unheard of, sacrilegious in the world of owners to renegotiate a rookie deal. Nobody ever does it and John Harbaugh forced the 49ers to renegotiate Colin Kaepernick's rookie deal taking him off the rookie minimums for second round picks and essentially giving him like a real NFL contract where they had wow. you know, with millions of guaranteed you know tens of millions of guaranteed money and uh, that was step 1 to John Harbaugh getting fired <laughs> from uh, from uh the 49ers so you know what uh, he's a good guy oh, I'm sure he's a psychopath like all uh, football coaches but I'll, I'll give him a point for that he believes in players getting paid and uh, good for him
0: hey the revolution needs psychopaths Brian
1: that's true that's true uh, well we have some local news some more local news here wouldn't you believe it SPD just like the rest of us they got some lady problems Greg Uh, I mean, you know, uh, we can
0: all agree. We can all agree. Every culture in the world, uh, women are the problem.
1: (laughs) Well, uh, a former SPD officer is filing a lawsuit against SPD, uh, alleging that, you know, Adrian Diaz, the current chief of SPD, as well as the SPD brass, have a long history of mistreating women, sexual harassment, et cetera, uh, a lot of which is everything you would expect it to be. But I do think there is a, a funny, like, there's that little extra spice that SPD likes to put on their own uh, allegations of misdeeds. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to read this first paragraph here from uh, a friend of the show, Ashley Nerbovig's article on this in The Stranger. When Seattle Police Department Captain Deanna Nillet told Chief of Police Adrian Diaz that SPD's other women employees might not want to participate in a flag football competition against the men in the department for a team building exercise, Diaz allegedly told her that the women could instead be cheerleaders. <laughs> Which is, they like Adrian Diaz was looking back and like, can we do the scene from MASH?
0: MASH, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> On lips, you incredible nincompoop. <laughs> oh, that, that's his line. Look, he was trying to include them. Look, if you don't want to get tackled by your psycho cop colleagues, who like that's someone you don't want to get into a friendly football game with. Yeah, oh, yeah, right. Like, yeah, f- as a team building exercise, like <laughs> that's where I mean, that's where people get really hurt. Um, is in your a- your amateur sports when you have like a psycho who takes something way too seriously. Mm -hmm. um and acts unsafely and and you i mean you're going up against a team of all cops i mean in football (laughs) no less i mean
1: uh, could you imagine the insurer for spd looking uh, at their tables for that one and being like oh god the chances of somebody getting shot at this are like 100 (laughs) or or just die i mean just dying (laughs) from from like an insane
0: Illegal tackle, you know, like you know, getting mm. like picked up, flipped around, and like pile driven
1: into the ground. Yeah, oh, just incredible. Um, yeah. What I like this too, in that, uh, of course, this you know is broken down to well, the women didn't want to play flag football, or whatever. As opposed to, uh, I'm an adult at work, so yeah, I don't want to do that. <laughs> like, this is a gym class. We're not in fourth grade. Um, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> it's, this is
0: a dumb idea.
1: And, yeah, and wow. it was.
0: I mean, that you know, that's this is how. Uh, cops, they're they're just like a purified expression of like of Americans, really. Yeah, you would think in, in like a healthy society with a healthy work culture, it wouldn't have been left to the women to say this is a dumb idea. Don't do this. You know.
1: <laughs> I mean, uh, look. But you do have to hand it to them. Uh, the women, right? Once again, this is stupid. Uh, stop doing it. Now that being said, this is obviously uh, just one instance in what is described as a history of misogyny in SPD. Uh, something like, let's be serious. Guaranteed, that's all true. Uh, we know police hate women. When Ashley was on, we got to hear all the stories. Of how, you know, when quote unquote responding to domestic violence calls, they would just hang out in the Safeway parking lot eating chicken wings instead of uh, actually responding to the calls. In one case, getting a woman brutally beaten in the process. Um, you know, look, uh, if you're a woman, stay away from the police and always don't get a job there. Don't marry him. Like, it's not great. The situation's not great. All right. Well, look forward to seeing how, where that case goes. I'm sure reform of SPD is right around the corner. So, uh, (laughs) the last, the last we hear about that problem. Well, speaking of cops, I say. Yeah, 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 well, I, I will say Seattle. I, I felt like was ahead of the curve in having women cops that engage in racial profiling and are as abusive as the male cops. I felt like we we had a real like around 2014, right when there was the uh, was it Walter Wingate uh, incident on Capitol Hill mm-hmm. where the female cop like arrested a guy for just being black and walking down the street. He was like 60 years old. Um, I felt like we had a real string of those of lady cops, um, really taking L's, uh, you know, doing it like the boys, but yeah, they were just
0: proving they can do it. You know, proving they're as as valuable to society as male
1: cops. (sighs) Look, Ice Cube made some points guys. All right. So, Along with uh, exciting police news for the area, the U.S. Attorney General's Office is now looking into the Manuel Ellis case in Tacoma. We covered this one a couple episodes ago uh, where Tacoma police officers essentially decided they wanted to beat up somebody, saw a black man walking down the street, fabricated an elaborate lie about uh, how he had been threatening them. And in one one of the cops' uh, tellings of the story, Manuel Ellis, Picked the cop up over his head and then threw him like a rag doll across the street or something, uh, something that nobody there remembers seeing. Even the other cop, interesting, um, but uh, fabricated a story that allowed them to brutalize this guy, and in the case and in the course of brutalizing him, of course, killed him. Um, something that would be entirely predictable, thus making this murder. Um, so, the Tacoma. A.O.A.G. right. The Pierce County A.G. dropped the ball on this one. So now the USAG is coming in, uh, presumably also to drop the ball on it, but to try and calm people down. Uh, presumably, we'll yeah,
0: It still it does feel kind of extraordinary. I mean, so they were acquitted, mm-hmm. you know, um, it was incredible that they were charged at all, as we discussed. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is only last week. I think we finally talked about this. So that felt incredible. New. And that was because of new sort of uh, initiatives at the state level from the governor's office to like, you know, uh, investigate stuff like this, theoretically, at least in this case from 2020. Mm -hmm. They get acquitted, predictable, infuriating, whatever. You know, the narrative from the governor certainly was like, well, this look, the system worked. We did investigate this. You know, it went before a court. Um, So we're doing our thing and it's working. And hey, yeah, this time I guess they didn't murder that guy, uh, is what the court found. And you, I really expected that to be the end of it legally. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you, you know, uh, criminally, I should say. I mean, I, I fully expect there to be like civil suits, but um, I kind of, kind of astonishing to see the federal government jumping in where like they're supposed to under U.S. law when like you know local uh, when the local like badged uh clan is uh you know murdering people and not prosecuting them to step in and do that but like it doesn't really happen that much right
1: yeah 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 like it usually only happens when the situation on the ground has gotten such that somebody a little higher up is like hey we gotta we gotta do some face saving here it's like that that scene in The Simpsons with like, you know, going up to Al Gore and like a little girl's lost her faith in democracy, and like pull out the stops. But it's it's kind of like one of those scenarios. Um, and it's kind of weird as to like because what cause while people were certainly upset in Tacoma. We're definitely in a resigned yeah. uh, acceptance stage. I
0: felt like this was going to go away. I didn't feel like this was mm-hmm. going to be a big a political problem for anybody, you know?
1: Yeah. And so I don't know, like usually this would be so if we're following the standard script, essentially the AG will begin to bring this case and then will offer, you know, uh, to the city, hey, you can take a consent decree and in, in its place. Right. And so taking this fully through trial you can just accept a consent decree, which is what happened like SPD and a lot Mm -hmm. of other urban police departments. And so the question is, as the Seattle consent decree is now closing out a complete failure, having failed to really do anything (laughs) with Seattle PD, uh, their uh, racial bias stops are the same as they have ever been. Uh, The only major change is they just largely stopped recording uh, information. But... You know, hard hard to say that SB has become less violent over the last decade. Yeah, no. So, as the Seattle one kind of falls apart, it's interesting that Tacoma might be going into a consent decree.
0: Yeah, that is interesting. I, I had not thought of that angle. That makes total sense that this is, that that's where this is going. Is that, so... And yeah, that is, I mean, is that a coincidence or is that a jobs program for like three guys at the uh, U.S. attorney's office in this district? That's like, uh, hey, our portfolio is going away. Um, <laughs> do we need to get something else going, you know, so we can say like, hey, we've got uh, this is one of the things that this office does. We're keeping mm-hmm. police accountable. We're doing police reform by, you know, doing this consent decree here. It makes it, it makes it sense to me.
1: Well, they already have all their bookmark tabs set in their law books for discussing the consent decree. So it's like, instead of pursuing some other thing, let's just do this again because I already got the notes. All we gotta do is like a find replace, you know, for the city, and <laughs> we're we're good to go. Um, in which case, uh, hey, look, this is a cost saving, uh, work saving, not maybe not cost saving, a work saving measure, and I applaud that for all all employees. You know, beautiful. Don't work too hard out there.
0: All right, well, We you heard it here, folks. Uh, that's a prediction. This uh, ends up in a consent decree for Tacoma.
1: Yeah, that'll be funny. Uh, it'll the funniest part about that will just be watching the Seattle Times and whatnot all pretend like this is a brand new process and we're watching it again for the first time. You know, like yeah. Oh, what what could possibly happen with this consent decree? Let's all as, hold as her. they're
0: simultaneous. Well, but they'll also. <laughs> The, I, I think they're also going to be saying this is great news for Tacoma because it, the process really worked wonders for Seattle Police mm. Department.
1: Yeah. Or maybe we'll turn it into an issue of regional pride where it's like Seattle, it got out of its consent decree, but not not to, not backwards Tacoma. <laughs> it well. just shows
0: how far ahead of Tacoma Seattle is
1: <laughs> in terms of
0: police <laughs> reform as as they're literally exiting uh This process and Tacoma is entering its 10, 15, 20 year consent decree
1: process. (laughs) Oh, you got to love it. All right. Well, in other exciting news, uh, I got a tweet from Governor Ron DeSantis sent to me personally. No, I got a tweet from Governor Ron DeSantis. I wanted to read you, Greg. This is great. Today, I am directing Florida's colleges and universities to make it easier for Jewish students to transfer to a Florida, a Florida higher education institution. While leaders of quote-unquote elite universities enable anti-Semitism, we will protect Jewish students and welcome them to Florida. Now, I saw this, this he posted this uh, early in the week, and obviously this is a response to the... Sort of ginned up panic that there's some sort of uh, like anti-Semitism brigade at Harvard and Columbia and stuff chasing students around. But how much of a self-own is it to transfer from Harvard to Florida State? Like how fucking funny? <laughs> how fucking funny is that? Like, oh my
0: god, he's giving somebody's he's gonna giving him
1: refuge.
0: Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. There. <laughs> the Zionist refugees from Harvard ending
1: up in you know Pensacola ma- or whatever incredible imagine being at like a mit like you know uh like chemical sciences you know department or something transferring to Florida State and looking up at the periodic table and it's all just flavors of Gatorade like going across <laughs> the periodic table. <laughs> <laughs> or I had one friend, he he pointed this out. He was like, you know, uh, he's like, I think it's like famously the Columbia football team has like not won a game in 30 years or something like that. He's like, oh, so maybe some of these uh, Columbia football prospects will, will transfer to like walk on to a, a D1 school team. And I was like, imagine being a, like, You know, a running back for the Columbia football team transferring to Florida State and getting immediately bisected like Lucas, you know, Uh, in practice by a, you know, 280-pound Florida State linebacker who runs a (laughs) 4440, you know, and all of a sudden realizing, like, oh, that's what they do at the school. You know, hey, God be with you, students uh, transferring from Harvard to Florida State. Let me know how it goes. I'll be following eagerly. Well, I guess along that same front, um, two days ago, South Africa brought its case of uh, genocide against Israel to The Hague. Um, For those of you, I know everybody on the internet is saying, hey, you should read their statement, right? Their their uh, case that they brought, the little 80-page docket. You should read it. And uh, let me echo that. You should read it. It's uh, yeah. fascinating stuff, and I gotta say, pretty fucking damning, you know? Just page after page of Israeli leaders at all levels of government saying, hey, we're gonna commit genocide in Gaza, followed by page after page of showing how they are doing it. And it's... Um, Horrifying to read, but I think a pretty clear-cut case. Now, Yeah, I mean, good on the South Africans for for doing this. Um, Mm -hmm. There is
0: such a weird, like, dynamic at work here where, like, all this stuff is stuff that we've already known. It's not like there's been... They didn't have to put in, like, a big investigation. They had to put a team of lawyers to put this case together to write this uh, indictment or whatever it is. But, like no research had to be done. There Mm -hmm. was barely any real like journalism had to be done because these are like so much of this is stuff put out directly by, uh, state organs or, you know, state officials, uh, the highest people in the country down to the soldiers, like putting themselves on TikTok, committing atrocities. And it's stuff for that reason we've already seen and been outraged about and been driven crazy by the, in this country, in America, the the depraved, barbaric, insane, like uh, lockstep support of Israel, like proud, uh, brazen, indignant support of Israel and funding of Israel and, you know, the diplomatic cover for Israel all while this is happening right in front of your eyes while they're saying it out loud. And so like what, this amounts to, and like it's very clear, like th- this shit didn't matter, right? Like mm. it, it do, if it doesn't matter like for the United States when all this is out there, when they're looking right at it to even really seemingly be at all worried about the repercussions of this of getting like of having this blood on their hands on any level, like, I, you know, morally their own conscience or Politically, diplomatically, politically in America, in, you know, in terms of like, you know, uh, democratic input of people who are against genocide, diplomatically in the world, it it seems to not matter. And so, mm. like, they seem to have made the calculation, like, we're, do we just need to do this and, and just keep a stiff upper lip through whatever accusations and just keep saying, no, no, it's fine. Israel needs to do what they're going to do. So what you have at the international court is like, it's cathartic. You know, it's like um, seeing these judges, these basically essentially, you know, they're jurists, they're diplomats, essentially from representing mm-hmm. the governments of a bunch of countries that are on the court right now, um, including, you know, the the five security council members and, and fucking Germany. It's kind of this just more substantive official venue where all of this stuff is getting aired that has already been completely public and around the world, though a lot of it doesn't make like the pages of the New York times, of course. And it's very cathartic and incredible to, to, to read. And I, I mean, I watched the the presentation, mm-hmm. um, I finished it today. Uh, but, I mean, it's the question is like, does it change anything? Cause it's like, this was obviously coming down the road. Like, I mean, they're not stupid. Like all this is out there. Like they could delay this for some amount of time, but like nothing's new here. And hmm. still, I mean, now that this is, I mean, the, the stories have dropped, the coverage in the mainstream press has dropped. And like, you know, the New York times coverage of this is, uh, is shameful and, and disgusting. Just like not engaging with the actual uh with the actual evidence with that again they've had all along. Um so I mean yeah, very cathartic. I mean the right thing to do and I think the South Africans must know like, you know, this isn't isn't gonna put an end to this, right? But like it's not, right? Like there's yeah. nothing
1: I don't think it's gonna put an end to it, but I think that uh as the ANC is well aware, it's like Forcing recognition, just mm-hmm. like they forced recognition of what the apartheid government af- in Africa really was, forcing recognition on an international level is important. Like, that's an important win. Um, it also, I think, represents, like I mean, this isn't the first time Israel's committed atrocities in Gaza or West Bank or, you know, in southern Lebanon, right? Like, you know, Israel's been committing atrocities in these places for decades, Uh, It's not the first time a Western nation, the United States, Europe, etc., has committed atrocities in another, you know, in another country, right? Um, No, not by far. But it is the first time. I mean, the 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 knock on things like the ICJ and the ICC was that their only function was to punish Africans, right? And that like that the West would never be subjected to these things. The United States actually has a law that if anybody, you know, if an Americans ever taken to court in the Hague, that the U.S. has to invade. (laughs) (laughs) to militarily attack it. Um, And that military threat has always been there, as well as the political threats and the economic threats and whatnot. Well, and we're not, the the United States is not a party to the the genocide convention. Yeah, and I think what this shows is for the first time, since essentially the creation of the modern world consensus post-45, the non-Western world, which is the vast majority of the planet, is finally saying, look, we know that the West is going to try and punish us for this, but we're going to do it anyways. And yeah. I think it I think it does show the increasing cracks that everybody else in the world can see in the American order, like that the American empire, it seems more fragile than ever, and it seems less likely to last than ever. And I think people are willing to push against it now. And that is certainly not a good sign for American imperialists. But if you are somebody who uh, thinks that the American empire is bad, which it objectively is maybe not the worst sign either. So, yeah, I think that's
0: true. I also think like something I always want to keep in mind is like, I do think all of this, yes, it's a sign that like America's power to control something like this, to keep something like this from going to the court in the first place, which of course they've, they've done many, many, many times before and in other similar things, you know, the diplomatic pressure to, uh, prevent shit like this from happening uh has been there yes that seems to be eroding yes support for the palestinian cause obviously this also reflects on that um like that it's grown but it's also um i think it's like more useful to think of it as a reflection of the scale of the barbarity and brazenness Mm -hmm. of the war in Gaza. Like it's really, that is what's driving this. It's like of everything, of all the, of all the changes in all of all the, the willingness of people to support, to come out, to lose their jobs, if it's that, or to, um, uh, risk, you know, restarting another genocidal war, uh, against them in Yemen, which is what the Houthis have risked doing. And we're going to get that in a minute, What the Houthi movement has risked doing by, by, you know, taking the stance they mm-hmm. have that willingness all, all on all levels is about the astonishing barbarity of what's going on there and how public it is. Yeah. You know, cause like, there's other awful, the same people indeed, the, the United States, again, like in Yemen in over the course of the last like three administrations has been guilty of in extraordinarily heinous uh, crimes of, you know, I would say genocide. Mm-hmm. Um, but they weren't out there like not every American politician was like running on that, <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah, and publicly yeah. like, like, uh, and getting angry at you for being against it. Like, it wasn't like a massive, like, thing they were wrapping the flag around um and well, like killing, celebrating as a holiday you know yeah, like
1: killing yemenis wasn't considered an integral part of the like your political personality or whatever and yeah i mean i so i think some of these things you know we, we should talk a little bit more about yemen here in a minute but i think a lot of these things are interrelated right i think you're right that it is like the sheer scale and brutality of this is why it's drawn such so attention but i think there's a relationship between sort of the empire's increasing sort of weakness and instability, and that brutality. I mean, and its willingness the, to do that. Yeah. This yeah. Personally. Like, you know, like the most, you know, uh, horrifying and brutal episodes of the Holocaust came when the Germans were losing, mm-hmm. you know? And that's not an uncommon, I mean, the same thing in in the American occupation of the Philippines and, you know, 1899, et cetera, right? Like, you know, these typically are the Boer War, the the British carried out the biggest atrocities during the Boer War when things were not looking very good for them. Yeah. Um, And again, again, recently over the last decade in Yemen. Yeah. Same thing. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that was a response to the U.S. not liking how the Arab Spring was playing out in Yemen. Uh, and then carrying out mass atrocities there through a, their Saudi proxy, um, like the real like mass starvation and blockade started when like mm-hmm. they
0: couldn't like do anything to them militarily, and they were still fighting back. You know?
1: Yeah, yeah. And so I think that uh, that those are kind of like interrelated issues, and. It, it, we talk about this and we say, oh, you know, this is a sign that the Empire's is weakening. And like, what does that mean to Gazans on the ground? And unfortunately for Gazans on the ground, not much, you know, just or, or like it's
0: worse or it's you know? bad
1: news. Yeah. Like just like if you were to tell somebody in the camps in like 1943, like, Hey, uh, the battle of curse happened. The Germans are fucked. Like, you know, it's like, well, great, but <laughs> here we are, you know, we're still here. Um, so it's, you know, it's all tough uh, from the Gazan side. And I think the one nice thing is it's piercing that veil that the West has been able to keep over this crisis for decades where we could just pretend it wasn't happening. And the South African lawyers, interestingly in their arguments just stated this, they were like, look, this is probably the first time in human history That the whole world has watched a genocide unfold, both from the side of the victims who are literally broadcasting to the world their own demise, but importantly, from the side of the people carrying it out. And then in the trial or in their in their opening statements the south african delegation just played tiktok videos for the judges Mm -hmm. of israeli soldiers basically being like doing genocide for the lulls and like dancing in front of you know flaming you know city blocks and stuff and you know it it is one of those things that it's look it's all online we all see it but it's also important to have i think official records that like no this shit happened like because we we say this really don't really give a shit what anybody thinks about any of the stuff they're going to carry it out anyways, but they clearly give a little bit of a shit because they are on a full court press to pretend like this like that this South African genocide case isn't happening, or if it is, you shouldn't care about it, right? And also that you know what you're seeing with your lying eyes is bullshit, right? You know, like they're, yeah. they're on a full you know court like throw sm- as much smoke as you possibly can press. Now, I think the. Response, particularly the online response from Zionists, is very interesting in that it very predictably, given that South Africa brought this case, went straight to just racism, of like, you know, why are blacks allowed in a court to begin with? (laughs) Like, essentially, in the online response to this entire thing. Uh, Yeah, I mean, just utterly showing
0: their ass there. No surprise. I mean, settler colonists are gonna settle colonies. I mean, they're they're yeah. going to be fucking like psych, racist psychos. Um, that's you know, in this moment of like in a period of weakness, you know, whether it's overall weakness, like whether that's quantifiable or just at, at any point where the empire feels like its its recourse is violence, it uses it and to mm-hmm. if if necessary to uh, enormous monstrous effect. I mean, like you know, the the mm-hmm. Cold War, you know, like. The, the wars of the mid-century like were you know estro- extraordinarily murderous because that was what the u.s uh felt was the tool in their toolbox i guess you know to yeah and uh, did it make ultimately like america look weak like losing in vietnam after committing a like a massive genocide from the air yeah but like did it matter i don't know i do think like I guess I'm just, I am still kind of fascinated by this relationship of like, you know, how, when is this going to end and how, what is it, how is it related to the the global pushback around it? And I guess what I I think is like, both are, like one is feeding the other, like the more depraved this is and the longer it goes on, the more and more pushback that's going to uh, provoke diplomatically around the world from populations uh rebelling against their own governments who are doing this but like that trajectory as both increase you know as the death toll in gaza mounts and the uh and then the pushback against israel and america's ability to keep carrying this out increases it does reach a point presumably where like this phase of it ends right mm-hmm. but it's only by going through the genocide itself, that it gets there. You yeah, know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, yeah. There's nothing, like, they're going to keep doing it. People will get more and more outraged. The evidence will mount. It'll become more and more diplomatically impossible for the U.S. to do it. That'll just keep going. And that those points cross, and it ends, right? Like, this mm. phase, whatever. Like, But, mm. like, it, the people are already dead. You know? Like, that's oh, yeah. Yeah. the way I understand it. I don't know.
1: Well, it, it's it, it's hard to say, like, what is... Because the only time we've seen a major imperial power that literally is controlling the world capitalist order, right, and sees itself as the guarantor of the world's capitalist orders, we've only seen it collapse, like, one time in recent history, which was the British, but they essentially handed it to the Americans while, you know, taking on a sort of, like, you know, lesser partner status in it, right? And so... It was very violent. I mean, that that period from 1930s to the 1950s you know, or whatever is a pretty violent period in, in world history. Uh, mm-hmm. But you could certainly see it having gone a lot worse. Um, the Spanish Empire, when it f- essentially fails in the 16th century and hands you know <laughs> Western world imperial status, uh, increasingly taken over by the British, is, again, a very violent period. And... I just think the collapse of the American empire, there's no reason not to think that it's going to usher in some pretty horrific violence uh, from the American side and from the grasping side of others seeking to take the U.S.'s place. I mean, the one big difference is nuclear weapons weren't really the th- the thing they are today when the British empire was falling apart, you know? And that is very concerning. I think if you're a Palestinian, I think the Israelis, when they talk about, like, oh, uh, the Palestinians want an Israeli genocide, it's important to understand, like, what the Israelis mean by that. Like, they mean the same thing that, like, white South Africans meant or white people in the American South meant when they talked about ending Jim Crow or ending apartheid, uh, which is their conception of Israel and of themselves is fundamentally an apartheid state so ending that in any way essentially is a genocide against them right so they see that as the same as physical death right that's a spiritual death to them they see the same as physical death and i think you should take this really seriously uh when they say that they will defend themselves with nuclear weapons like i think they would turn that entire region into glass rather than have equality on a single inch of israeli territory and that is I, I think in the end that is the thing that's extremely concerning. <laughs> like that that addition of the nuclear weapon element is concerning. The fact that the Israelis have hundreds of them and I think are as likely to use it on their own territory as anywhere else is pretty uh horrifying and scary. It also means that the expansion of this war, which it is expanding now, uh you know, hey, reason for concern. <laughs> um but yeah, I mean I, we're talking about
0: yeah, serious like potential for this to get really wildly out of hand.
1: Yeah. So real quick, before we get into that, though, I do want to mention the Israeli response. So uh, if you missed the South African presentation on Thursday, uh, one reason for that is that American and British uh, television refused to broadcast it, completely blacked it out, pretended it didn't happen and refused to show it. You had to watch it on YouTube if you happen to catch the Israeli response, that's because American television, British television showed that. Interesting. Um, The Israeli response was was kind of fascinating. I mean, they, of course, like what got the headlines was the old doddering lawyer they had who just lost all his paperwork and was just looking through it like on the mic going, I lost my paper. Where's my paper? You know, like, uh, just like hilarious. Um, They are sending their best. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the sad thing is, is, you know, like that probably was the greatest legal mind that they could muster. Um, but their case hilariously never refuted the fact that they were carrying out a genocide. Their basic case was a yeah, maybe we're carrying out a ge- genocide, but uh, so are the Palestinians. Our evidence just trust us. Like they just kept saying, like, it's plain to see. And it's like, well, it's interesting. You keep saying it's plain to see. And I think the South Africans could say the same thing. It's plain to see. But instead of doing that, they instead read page after page after page after page, video after video after video of your leaders saying we're committed to a genocide. Right. It's like interesting that you don't have the same, you know, uh, uh, convincing case to make. But that was just like one little bit of it. The other two things that they essentially hung their hat on was that South Africa has no right to bring this to the to the court. Uh, they used fancy legal terminology, but was, again, just relying on the idea that black people are not allowed to bring charges against white people in court. <laughs> interesting. Uh, and the other one was that the court can't do anything about it anyway. So it should just shut up and drop the case, um, which were two interesting uh, kind of legal arguments to rely on because neither of them denies that Israel's committing the genocide in Gaza, which I think continues Israel's like I, I think Israel's outward expression of like, no, we're doing this. Like it is the West's problem to try and pretend like we're not.
0: (laughs) It's this incredible, these people are so these people are so fucking crazy and in their own world. And yet, I mean I say that, but like the US government is right there with them Mm that they're doing like classic diplomatic political non-denial denials. Of genocide. Okay. It's like, if you have to, when you're an American like state department spokesperson or a British official, like, like David Cameron the other day, uh, all these people, they're all saying like, you know, when being asked, like, well, you know, what's the position here? Are they doing genocide? It's like, well, listen, I'm not a lawyer. It's like, if you have to say, if you have to make some like, well, I don't know, like someone should look into it about genocide. You're really giving away like. <laughs> you should be able to give like, a firm no on that one. <laughs> yeah. Which, of course, I mean, they do that, too. Mm-hmm. But some people who want to cover their ass in certain questions, um, they've also, of course, the U.S. government has roundly like dismissed this as nonsense. Um, but like. You know, but it's the same thing of like going to, yeah, going to the, the ICJ being hauled before it on genocide charges and making like a technical, like jurisdictional, like Mm -hmm. procedural argument against a charge of genocide. My (laughs) God, my God, it should be a little easier to refute.
1: (laughs) Yeah. You know, because ideally, you know, you'd want to not be doing that shit. Mm hmm. Well, they insist this isn't happening, which it seems like would be pretty uh, easy then to come in and be like, well, all those videos and commentary uh, where we say we're definitely doing this. It seems like you would have some sort of rebuttal for that. Now, I I don't know if they were making this in court or if this just came out online, but apparently the that what they came up for with the rebuttal is that. Yeah, of course, all of our political leaders are constantly talking about committing genocide against the Gazans, but that's just to satisfy their voting basis at home because all the Israelis want to commit genocide against the Gazans, but uh, secretly they're not actually doing it. And it's like, you know, that's um, not a great argument. <laughs> it's like, what, but what if I'm arguing they're not secretly not doing it? They actually are doing it. You know, like it's it's a fascinating. Again, trust us. You yeah, know. It, it just all comes down to trust us and. Uh, well, I mean, yeah,
0: I mean, it's insane. Like, yeah. you know, what's going to be wild is the that this court is going to throw this out. You know, they are not yeah. going to uh, do anything about this. But
1: yeah, yeah, I mean, I the, if, uh, like this is going nowhere. And even if it did go somewhere, like it would just be an in, it'll be an interesting historical artifact in the genocide that Israel yeah, yeah. carried out. Like, it'd be the same as like you know, in nineteen forty two or whatever, having a, a court case and, you know, Canada or whatever saying like Germany is carrying out a genocide. It's like the Nazis are just like, Okay, cool. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for the info. Well, you know I at you least know.
0: by then they were at war with uh with some people around the world. Yeah. Um like but, the, the 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 UN's not gonna order America to start like human yeah. doing a humanitarian invasion of Israel to do regime change, you know,
1: for the yeah. crime of genocide. Uh eh so, yeah, now uh part of the problem with the Israeli side is some of their supporters, and they're off the cuffer marks, as previously mentioned, uh but I do want to focus on one in particular. it's uh the senator from Wawa uh John Fetterman, who has uh really been doing a big heel turn up there in Pennsylvania, and he uh <laughs> while speaking to donors, decided to do a little off-the-cuff commentary on all of this, at which point he commented that maybe South Africa should stay in their lane and worry about, you know, the stuff in their own country uh, that they didn't have a right to comment about genocide, um, which They should immediately, sit this one out. Yeah, his, yeah his hard, com- which
0: makes you... So on first pass, I mean, it's basically... It's what a lot of Israelis are saying online is like uh, the monkeys who come down from the trees to have no right to bring fucking uh, cases against us white people is... Well, I mean yeah. I don't know what you know how else do you take how else that you like, interpret it yeah well, it's the UN it's the UN like it's a body it's an international body of sovereign states like this is which the whole South Africa is like, a
1: member in good standing like
0: yeah, yeah a, a member that's actually signed the the genocide convention <laughs> yeah, you know yeah. like so yeah like they're just you know using this process like but uh so, well what's wild is when you start to think about it uh you know, other possibilities beyond just the bald racism also occur to you. And they're,
1: they're also weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He had cryptically mentioned, you know, they should worry about things in their own country or whatever. Right. You know, specifically on their own their own continent. Own, yeah. Well, no, no. In his statement, he, he says in their own country. I mean, the first he then statement. later expands it. Yeah, yeah, now, yeah, yeah. now this is what's interesting. That's
0: hilarious. I mean, the continent that Israel is separated from by a man-made canal <laughs> that's 200 feet wide. Yeah. <laughs> Like, <laughs> well, you could throw a rock from Israel and hit Africa and vice versa. So yeah.
1: the, the American right has obviously been uh, feeling Fetterman lately. And uh, I, hey, why not? Right. Like the guy uh, gets elected claiming to be, you know, some sort of extension of like the Bernie stuff and then immediately just becomes a Republican, which is, hey, maybe this is a problem with the American political system. But uh, the it, by the way. P- bold prediction before his uh term is over fetterman does just become a republican but the uh the american right wing of course immediately seized on that because this is music to their ears this was a dog whistle they heard loud and clear oh yeah and, and they all were like john fetterman uh is speaking out finally somebody's speaking out against white genocide in south africa and this spread like wildfire instantly after a series because That's what he was implying, and they picked it up. Now, Fetterman's aides apparently then panicked and called the press and said, hey, I know that uh, the right is running, Fox News is running with this like white genocide story. We want to be very clear. That's not what John meant. Also, I can't tell you what he meant. We're working on it. We'll get back to you. And so Fetterman then sometime later gets back with the press later that day and says, Oh, I wasn't talking about that. I was—I wasn't doing white genocide stuff. Um, I meant uh, Darfur. Like they—they they should care. Like South Africa should care more about what's happening in Darfur. Now, the connection between South Africa and Darfur, if we're going on a, just a distance thing, seems to be as tenuous. Uh, you know, Kevin Fetterman's logic here as the connection between South Africa You're and just Israel back to,
0: let, let the <laughs> like the
1: blacks let people.
0: the blacks like stay out of the white people business. <laughs> like that's. That's
1: still what he's saying, like,
0: yeah, like, yeah. Like,
1: <laughs> yeah it's not I good. Mean, there's, there's like, no what? good version of this. Let's be clear. There's no like, if you want to take Fetterman at his word, uh, which you know, I think there's plenty of reason not no. to. But the point is, like, there's no good version. Like, his, I mean, okay, even his official story no, is the not good. good
0: version. Which you were seeing <laughs> online from like open, fair-minded people who were like trying to figure out what the fuck he could be talking about. We're going like, I guess, is he just? so monstrously stupid that he th- doesn't understand that yes, like yes. <laughs> apartheid South Africa was, you know, uh, violently overthrown and, uh, forced to recede and give up its power to the ANC, like, or what, like what, or or <laughs> what's the, and people were speculating this. And it's like, you've got to, because the, the white genocide in South Africa like lie is so insane and bizarre Mm -hmm. and revealing it Mm -hmm. is like, he's obviously look, he, he always had a lot of bad uh, opinions out there. You could find at the time he's certainly in this, like really shown his ass, but like that does, but like there is a psychosis on in America, even among liberals, Democrats where it's this like displaced nationalism for Israel, for whatever fucking reason that like doesn't necessarily have to map onto everything else in the world, like to be a Zionist really in Israel and carry that out and be a part of that project. Yeah. You do actually have to be a monstrous racist. It's just the two things are Mm -hmm. inextricable. You can be a dimwitted big city liberal and even an elected Democrat maybe, and just have this insane psychosis around Israel that like makes it this like science fiction that has nothing to do with reality that you don't even understand that you're just like religiously devoted to. But, and you can do that. It seems without being a like revanchist, like white nationalist, like, uh, (laughs) you know, white genocide in South Africa, apartheid,
1: like, uh, defender, uh, Rhodesia Stan, you know, Mm Mm-hmm. Well, it is one of those things. Like, yeah, it's it's a little telling that uh, all the ears pricked up when he said that, right? Like, but also, what leads me to believe that he definitely was doing white genocide stuff is knowing white people in the Midwest, having lots of white family members in yeah. the Midwest. I remember hearing this from them, and oh, like, the, it's the farming the, thing. Yep, it's the, the 1990s. Yep. Like yep. white farmers in the Midwest who, by the way, were dealing with essentially like neoliberalism's encroachment into American farming, which was causing the corporatization of American farming and people to lose their farmland, et cetera, et cetera. And their psychotic way of dealing with that because they were not capable of understanding that like capitalism could be bad and fucking them was to adopt this cause, which was the white farmer in South Africa. And so it's that this whole thing, it's a mania amongst them because it's filtered through so many layers of bullshit uh but the second everyone yeah. was going like the, the second I watched that clip of him, I was like, oh, he's doing white genocide shit. <laughs> like and um, you know, I, I, I was like, I look, I've been in the Midwest. I know what he's going on about, but uh but like like you said, either way, there was only one possible interpretation,
0: which that, that they, was just, which is that he's that so, was the line. The line it, for the longest time, the like the summation is like mm-hmm. they're killing white farmers in mm-hmm. South Africa now that they've taken power or that's you know that's what they're going to do and now that's what they're doing you know yeah because what well, well, and what well, all that was actually happening was uh, a lot of uh, white farmers were deciding to emigrate because they lost their power over yeah. you know a white dominated South Africa
1: yeah, or that, like, oh, hey, in uh, the countryside where the state is less present, there's like violence during a major transition from a racist regime to a more inclusive regime. It's like, yeah, that's not the most shocking thing in the world. Uh, but genocide, no. Also, I think that violence was pretty one way the other direction <laughs> than uh, is alleged by whites in the United States. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Um. But yeah. Uh, you know, just incredible stuff, but. The and like in like we mentioned, I mean, whatever interpretation you want to take, if you want to take Fetterman's word or you know our interpretation, uh, it's not great. It's it's all pretty bad. Um, the only positive interpretation, I guess, was the one that you had mentioned that people come up with earlier that maybe because of a stroke, just like half his brain fucking fell out of his ear, and he thinks it's nineteen eighty five still. But uh, you know, also I mean, not, like, not particularly great. <laughs> I gotta say, if that's the he kids. could run for president on that. <laughs> I, I look, that makes him more qualified for president uh, right now than at any other time. So, well, I think I just got to bring this up uh, just because since we're talking about Israel's uh, defenders and history, there was a couple of them, funny ones that came out in the last couple of days. One was somebody pointing out positively, they thought, for the for the side of Israel. Look, guys, when America, Great Britain and Germany line up with Israel, you got to that say that that's not a genocide. You got to, you got to start believing that. And it's like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. It's like, honestly, that lineup is more incriminating than anything South Africa presented. <laughs> like if you just show Absolutely. on the side of the board, like, uh, but this one from Eve Fartlow, I thought was really funny. She's, she's back in public. You can respond to her again. Um, but she uh, she has in quotations, South Africa knows apartheid, exclamation point, exclamation point. Well, Germany understanding Nazism and the global demonizing of Jews trumps it, you bunch of terrorist bootlickers. So this was just a look, fascinating. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> look,
0: <sighs> the, it, like, the dimwit logic I'm sorry, the dimwit logic of that makes sense right like <laughs> you have to get into a pretty uh an an understanding of the history of post-war Germany and NATO and of uh denazification to really to really pick that logic apart actually like so I don't know like because like what you know what <laughs> she's saying is like listen Uh, South Africa has a history. Well, she should also be worried. I mean, I guess the problem with that argument is that like South Africa has also accused Israel of being an apartheid state. So Mm -hmm. she's kind of giving them that one. She's saying, Mm -hmm. yeah, like all those people, including South Africa, say like Israel is an apartheid state. Well, they're right about that because, look, clearly South Africa knows its business in that regard. Whereas Germany, you know, as a country that used to have apartheid but now defeated that regime and is something different just like Germany who has this intimate history with genocide. But now, you know, uh, Nazism was defeated there and it's something completely different. And it's like, you know, you have to get into the weeds to, to Mm. debunk that, you know?
1: See, I think her statement here is a little different. I think when she says South Africa does apartheid, she's mocking that and saying like, Oh, you think that that is an argument? but uh, here's a better counter argument. Germany understands Nazism and therefore we should listen to the Germans when they say it's not apartheid. I think the funnier aspect of this is just the juxtaposition, right? In the sense that like, yeah, when people say like South African government, meaning the ANC knows apartheid, that's because the ANC Fought against apartheid, like they are the victors yeah. over apartheid. They were the victims well, of it, and the they victors. lived through it. Yeah, and the funny part about the German example is that you say, "Okay, well, German Germany understands Nazism." It's like, yeah, yeah, from a very different perspective than the ANC understood apartheid. Like Germany understands Nazism, the German government understands Nazism from the perspective of having done it and carried it out,
0: right? Like, yeah. it's well, that's like, what I mean. That's where you like have to get hilarious... into the weeds of of <laughs> a you know historicizing post war Germany to. To, to unravel that logic, right? Because, yeah. like, I, I could turn around and say, well, yeah, like, they're not, the German government isn't not, just like South Africa is not the apartheid regime right now, the German government isn't uh, the Third Reich, you know? Yeah. They just have the cultural memory of it,
1: you know? Yeah, yeah, and, the fourth one. <laughs> <laughs> well, different I mean,
0: <laughs> that's America.
1: Yeah. Uh, well... Before we uh, end out, though, we do have to bitch in the bombing of Yemen and talk a little bit about that. So, uh, I believe it was Thursday night when the U.S. government started bombing Yemen. Um, <laughs> as we mentioned, uh, the U.S. through its proxy state, Saudi Arabia, has been bombing Yemen for more than a decade. You know, along with and blockading and blockading it. I mean, the real,
0: um, the real uh, genocidal crimes there are the. Uh, mm-hmm the manufactured famine Mm -hmm. from bombing and destruction of infrastructure, but also from the United States, uh, total blockade, uh, keeping like food and medicine out of that country for years. Um, that has caused the deaths of maybe a hundred thousand people. No one really reports this shit, but, um, Mm -hmm. you know, could be a hundred thousand people dead. A lot, a lot of children.
1: And what was acknowledged, uh, for a while is probably the greatest uh, crime against and uh, humanitarian disaster of the, you know, new millennium, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, sure to be surpassed now by what's happening in Gaza.
0: Well, uh, I mean, in terms of death toll, I, I think that remains to be seen. But yeah. in terms we'll of, I mean, th- that's what's different about in Gaza is the speed and brazenness. Mm-hmm. Now, it could absolutely still go on like this. But, you know, that line of the pushback compared to the escalation of death, like, where do they meet and and where does it resolve? Like, is it an open question? So, yeah, no, yeah. they're trying to starve that population and blockade them. Yeah. So they could end up doing the same thing they did in Yemen um, yeah, and, and s- killing a 100,000 people. Very, so, very possibly. But it hasn't happened yet.
1: And so the Houthis who... uh Control most of Yemen, I believe at this point, right, or essentially the official state of most of Yemen. Essentially, their argument is: Look, we're going to interrupt traffic going through through the Red Sea to Israel as part of our sort of international obligation to intervene in this conflict since Israel's is carrying the responsibility
0: out responsibility to protect.
1: Yep, and they have said explicitly over and over again, we will stop. Interrupting this traffic the second the genocide stops and during the ceasefire, they actually did stop right uh, the, the ceasefire. Sorry, the uh, humanitarian pause. Uh, they mm-hmm. did stop uh, during the humanitarian pause. Um, it's very interesting. And I only just state that right off the bat because I've been following NPR's coverage of this quite a bit and the efforts to. A to throw smoke at that, at what the U- Yemenis have very specifically said they're doing, has been fascinating. As in today, uh, NPR's reporting it was uh, Yemeni, you know, piracy. This is, th- this is what the U.S. is going to hang their hat on here is that this is all piracy. The Yemeni piracy in the Red Sea has increased since the Israel-Gaza war began. Which is a fascinating way of implying that it has nothing to do with it, really, other than, like, all oh, this conflict in the region, so now it's gone up. As opposed to what the Yemenis have said specifically, which is, we are doing this because of the Israel-Gaza conflict. Uh, and then hanging their hats on this idea that the reason why the U.S. is uh, dropping bombs on Yemen... It's it's really just because of piracy. It's because it's because they're they doing um pirates of the Caribbean shit, and so we got to bomb them. It definitely has nothing to do with protecting Israel. That's for sure. <laughs> Even that's depraved. I
0: mean, all they've done is they haven't <laughs> killed anybody. They haven't sunk any ships. Yep. Like, so you could police. I mean, you could police the the Strait and the Red Sea. Um, mm-hmm. you could load it with naval vessels and prevent. And you could escort every container ship going through and you could probably present prevent them from doing their their TikTok videos, hanging out with the crews um, and looking badass landing, like <laughs> jumping off of helicopters to to basically do sit ins on these ships. Like, mm-hmm. you, know, um, you, you know, you can debate whether it's a, whether it's violent or not, but they haven't they haven't killed anybody doing that. Yeah. Um, well. And they're only stopping these ships going to Israel, and then you know to just to uh to escalate that again yeah. you know again again. In, I mean it's just it's it's exactly what we started talking about, which just like this is the situation where the empire feels it's at is that it can't brook any it's not it's yes it wants to defend the prerogative of itself and Israel continuing to commit this genocide in Gaza, yes, but also just like part of the response and the willingness to do that in Gaza is a response on the part of the Empire and the people who run it to October 7th, which is that I don't think they feel like they can't let people do this. They can't mm-hmm. allow this kind of defiance of their order, you know? And so, you know, they can't they can't treat this like uh, simply diplomatically, level-headedly, and say like, okay, you know, this small country is using their small bit of leverage to sort of non-violently protest. Uh, mind you, I mean, they were all in the case of the piracy. Okay. Mm-hmm. If that's what you're yeah. calling it. They've also launched some some missiles for basically for show into Israel. But, uh, uh, but you know, they are doing, they have essentially, you know, uh, committed acts of war against Israel as well. Um, other, you know, more violent acts of war you know you could treat this diplomatically but they can't they have to mm. they have to escalate this to violence which is the only way it's going to go i mean they knew they've been bombing that country for a decade and blockading it and there's the same people are still in power and still like kicking their ass the last time the saudis tried to actually do any like real uh engagement with them on the ground uh so what do they think they're going to accomplish except more escalation like they can't yeah, yeah. possibly think that that's going to Cause them to give up, right? So, like, it's like they're, they want, it's like all they think they can do is escalate to a wider regional conflict.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's one of those funny things, too, of, this like, you know, treat this like this is a bold new strategy if we're going to bomb them. And it's like, well, it hasn't worked to this point. There was just an enormous mass rally in Yemen of people basically just cheering to support this. I mean, one interesting thing is uh, NPR, they had brought on a Yemeni historian from Hobart College, a Yemeni historian to like, be like, hey, who are these people? Who are the Houthis? And the historian the whole time was like, trying to like, correct them. They just kept throwing like, bullshit at them. And the story was trying to be like, no, 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 no. Like, you know, whatever you want to think of the Houthi faction, the idea that the Palestinians have to be protected, you know, from Israel and protected from Israel is like, that is a wildly popular opinion. <laughs> and like that is everybody across every political spectrum agrees. Like this is a country that has been in a civil war with Western, you know, participation for, you know, a decade and a half now. And we're essentially uniting them now. <laughs> around this one cause uh with the houthis on top because of the ones who can do something about it right i mean yeah. everything you know, you claim you don't like this group the houthis but everything you're doing is just empowering them in every way at the same time too this idea that you're going to run them off by dropping a few bombs on them seems to be uh, a little mistaken now the question of escalation i mean yeah they haven't killed anybody in these ships or anything like that but Things can change, right? And sometimes things change when you bomb people. They decide, well, we're tired of playing nice with this kind of shit, you know? Um, It's interesting that the U.S., you know, part of the U.S. justification for bombing them, not that hypocrisy means anything, is that the Houthis are endangering civilians, (laughs) which is, like, pretty ironic, given... I mean, it's just disgusting. Yeah.
0: Well, there's also been, like, from... You know, sitting legislators in this country and and plenty of other shitheads like bemoaning the 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 rise in in like home goods and food prices because yeah. of uh, <laughs> my the, egg prices are going up. <laughs> no, and even that again, like they. Another thing not to overlook is that like um, the Houthis have only like boarded ships heading to Israel. Right, yeah. so they're just accounts, trying to They do, are doing what they said they were going to do. Like their only yeah. their their very limited like ability to blockade Israeli shipping. Right, so, mm. but what the propaganda around that has done, you know, if the U.S. was trying to actually like de-escalate, maintain order, react to this in any kind of like a uh, civil way, you would be assuring from the very beginning. Uh, the world shippers that like listen we're in talks we we have diplomats on the ground they're only doing this to uh ships bound for israel they we have their word no like other ships are going to be affected. you should keep like shipping going through here if you're going to Israel you until we resolve this, you might need to go the other way, but instead they've made the propaganda about this like that it's just this wild uh, piracy that has nothing to do with anything that they're just going to start like taking every ship that comes past through their strait, you know, and like that could have been avoided. So uh, and maybe you couldn't have, maybe people would be too spooked, but I think that's what you mm. have like diplomacy for. That's what you have like an American government for like, you know, r- with its ships around the world. It, it, they could have come out and said like, look, no other, if you're not bound for Israel, you're not in any danger of being boarded here. Like, it's fine,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but yeah. they didn't. Uh, they they decided to make this worse. the The impact on the global economy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. they chose. They chose that escalation.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, this is like eerily reminiscent of 2014, uh, the shoot down of that Malaysian air flight over Ukraine, which mm-hmm. basically came down to the European Union refused to acknowledge that Ukraine was a conflict zone, which would have forced flight pla- flight mm-hmm. forced flight paths to go around it, you know, to avoid getting shot down, obviously. Um, But because the European Union was maintaining this fiction that there was no civil war currently ongoing in Ukraine, um, that basically they were flying commercial aircraft over a place where jet fighters were bombing things, anti-aircraft weapons were in use, you know, on a regular basis and a fucking airliner got shot down you know, full of passengers who had nothing to do with this war or anything like that, but were essentially being used as a propaganda prop, you know, uh, in the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. And you essentially have a similar situation here where if the West was capable of like any amount of honesty in the situation, we could avoid people who are just maritime sailors trying to do their jobs, right, from getting caught up in this. But of course, the the decision has been at every stage to escalate, to ensure that, or at least try to, you know, concoct a situation where maybe you can get a PR win by having a boat sunk or something like that. Now, I think the real danger is the American Navy is, of course, sent a lot of ships into that shipping lane. Um, The Houthis, which do get some weapons from Iran and stuff like that and do have some, like, serious weaponry, Could sink one of those boats. And then I think we're going to be in a real fucking predicament. All the NatSec guys on Twitter, all the fucking nerds are already doing the like, here's, you know, like our choices with Yemen. And it's just bomb this country, bomb this country, bomb this country. But they all seem to be ending on, we should bomb Tehran for this. Uh yeah. which I think a lot, both in Israel and the United States and just Western Europe generally, there's a lot of pressure to escalate this to a final conflict with Iran, which I think is also I mean <laughs> those guys love that shit, you know, they get off to it, but uh that's gonna be a probably like the end of the American Empire. That's that's not a that's not gonna work. I guess is all I gotta say. That's pretty yeah. Not so good. Yeah, it's bad. It's bad, folks. All right. Well, hey, Boeing has uh, parts of their planes just flying off mid-flight. How the fuck have we not talked about that yet? Uh, that happened immediately after we recorded it <laughs> last week. Uh, if you all are interested in hearing the Boeing beat, we're about to start talking about it right now, but you can only listen to it if you're one of our beautiful patrons. Uh, This month, this month alone, no, this month and every month for the rest of the year, your $5 donation to Patreon will go to the Houthi Rebels so that they can get an Exeter missile to fire at a ship. Uh, (laughs) No, (laughs) no, no, just kidding, wink. Um, But, uh, you know, become a patron, listen to the rest of the episode. We're going to talk about Boeing right now.